Turn in your Bibles tonight to Numbers 21, chapter 21 of the book of Numbers, 16 through 18 are the verses, amen, 16 through 18 of Numbers 21. <clears throat> I'm reading from the New King James Version, that's the version that's on the back of your pews, also that'll be what is on the overhead. And uh, feel free to use your phones, tablets, whatever that you, uh, that you have. I've got a lot of preacher friends that preach out of a, on, off of a tablet. That's what they use now. And I'm always, I can't do it. I'm scared to death that my battery's going to go dead while I'm preaching. My battery has gone dead a few times while I was preaching, but I don't want my tablet's battery to go dead while I'm preaching either. Amen. Amen. Numbers 21, 16 through 18. From there they went to Beer, which is a, a proper noun meaning well, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, all you sing to it. The well the leaders sank, Dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves, from the wilderness they went to Mantanai. I want to preach to you tonight on the subject, well, well, well. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we're praying that you would add your anointing to the preaching of your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All righty, I want you to stand at your feet one more time as an introduction to this tonight. And if you do not know this song, we're going to teach it to you real, real quick, okay? All right? It it's, goes like this. Spring up a whale within my soul. Spring up a whale and make me whole. Spring up a whale and give to me that life abundantly, okay? That's the chorus. And then the verse uh, says, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. It opens prison doors, sets the captive free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It, does anybody know that song? We've got, okay, all right. We've got three people that raise their hand. Y'all come up and help me sing it. Come on up. I'm on, I ain't going to be up here by myself. Come on. Yeah, come on up. I don't know why you're embarrassed. You sing up here all the time. Come on up, Crystal. Come on up. Can you play that? Do you know that song? You never heard it, had you? You ain't old enough. He ain't old enough to others. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Got Trenton up here. Trenton, I've been here nine and a half years. I've never got an applause like that. Christy Vickers knows how to say. Yeah. Come on up, Christy. You don't have to get in the mic, Christy. Just... Can you find that on that computer somewhere for us, Cameron? It's Spring Up a Whale, chorus. This is, you might not know this, this is totally unrehearsed. And li listen now, listen to me. This is not, th this is not unprofessional. Where I grew up, the way we, I was telling Daddy earlier, the way we did it, the church I grew up in at Axon, is the pastor would get up and say, okay, who's got a song? 
that they want to sing. And then if nobody volunteered, they'd say, all right, Brother Joe, do you have a song? He said, my voice is a little scratchy tonight. I don't think I can sing, sing tonight. Well, come on, Joe. Oh, everybody give Joe a hand. Joe, you can sing. And we'd, and we'd do that to about 11 different people. Everybody in the house would sing before it was over with. Do you think you can find it, Cameron? His battery's got dead. Well, we're going to try it. Some of you... Some of y'all need to get a, get, go, go get a mic. Trent, I've heard you sing. It's all right. You don't have to, you don't need a, you don't need a mic. It's all right. All right. We'll start with the chorus. I've got a river of life. You ready? I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well within my soul. Spring up a well and make me whole. Spring up a well and give to me that life abundantly. All right, we're going to try it again. You ready? I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well within my soul. Spring up a well and make me whole. Spring up a well and give to me that life abundantly. All right, now give yourselves a hand. All right, now I, I can tell that that's very new to all of you. So there's a part of this song that you only have to know three words to do. So these people that are professionals, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna sing, we're gonna all try to sing the, the, the chorus there and then on the, on the, or the verse there, and then on the chorus, we're going to sing the chorus, but we want y'all to do this part. You only need three words. Look at your neighbor and say this to him. Say, gush, 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 four words. Gush, 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 okay? No, it's not gush, it's gush. I wrote it. I know what it's done. All right. Gush, or, it, listen, if you live in South Georgia, it's gush. If you live in North Georgia, it's gush. I've, I've never... I've never turned on the tap and the water gush out before, but anyway, right? Uh, both of the Baptist girls sang gush, gush, gush. And, it's, and it's, it's okay because, you know, they're once saved, always saved anyway, so it doesn't matter what they do. You going to do the gush, 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 gush? <laughs> All right, so when we get to that, we're going to help you out. Let's do, the, let's do the verse one more time and then we get to the chorus. And when you do gush, 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 you got to do your hands like this, okay? Everybody do that. Come on, everybody do it. First time some of you have ever raised your hands since I've been here, nine and a half years. All right, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captive free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well, gush, 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 within my soul. Spring up a well, gush, 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 and make me whole. Spring up a well, gush, 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 and give to me 
thy life abundantly. One more time. Spring up a well within my soul. Spring up a well and make me whole. Spring up a well and give to me that life abundantly. Give all of yourselves a hand. Amen. Amen. We through singing now. Amen. Amen. We got Trenton on stage. The days of miracles never cease. Last time he was on this stage, he was getting married. He has avoided it like the plague ever since then. Amen. The people came to a place named Well, and there they dug a well. The Lord had told him to gather the people together at that place. And as they dug that well, they sang a song, Spring up, O well. And all of them were to sing to the well. And the song that they sang was, The well the leaders sank, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their stabs. And that's the song that they sang. It was a song of, of joy because they were in a desertous place. They were in a dry place. In fact, they had been wandering for almost 40 years in that wilderness, in that desert. God had kept them. They had, many of those were people that had been born in the wilderness. They were the wilderness generation. All that they, excuse me, remembered was the desert. That's all they knew. They were a desertous people. They had not grown up in the, in the lushness of the Nile River Valley of uh, Egypt. They had grown up in the wilderness. And they were thirsty, and the Lord brought them to the place where they were to dig a well. Now what's interesting about that is that the Lord had not always required of the wilderness folks to dig a well. In fact, in their parents' day, when they lacked water, the Bible says that God in Exodus 17 and 6 gave them water from a rock. In fact, here's the way the psalmist said it, Psalm 78, 15, and 16. He claved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and he caused waters to run down like rivers. And God did that again. This time to many that had been born in the wilderness. Once again, he spoke to Moses and told Moses once again in Numbers 28 through 12, he told Moses once again, speak to the rock like he did before. Speak to the rock and I'll give water. And of course we know Moses and his frustration. First of all, he took too much on himself. He said, do we have to give you water out of this rock? And let me tell you that when you are in partnership with God, God may require certain things out of you, but it's always he that does it and not we that do it. We may be involved in the process. Our obedience may be part of the process, but all the glory goes to him. So when he substituted we for he, he got into trouble. And in his frustration, he struck the rock. And when he struck the rock, it cost Moses entrance into the promised land. But the Bible tells us in the new covenant, the new covenant, the old uh, the new covenant in the, is in the, in the Old Covenant, New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, but the Old Testament is in the New Covenant revealed. 
And in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, we get an idea more about this. For 1 Corinthians 10, 4, uh, Paul said to us, And all they drank from the same spiritual rot, for they drank from that spiritual rot that followed them, and that rot was Christ. And I want you to know that we've got a supply even in the wilderness, even in the dry times, even in the desert, we have a supply. There is a rock that follows us. There's someone that is with us that is always a source of strength, of supply, of joy. Now sometimes we ignore that one that is the fountain of living waters. Jeremiah 2.13, the Lord spoke through Jeremiah and said, My people have committed two evils. The first evil that they committed is they've forsaken me. They've turned away from me, the fountain of living waters. You know, the problem with, uh, with the gospel, the problem with uh, Christianity, the problem with our relationship with the Lord is not that it has been tried and left wanting. It's that it has been left untried. In other words, I was talking one day to a, to a fellow that was a, a colleague of mine and, and uh, uh, in, in a secular job, and he was trying to talk to me. We were, it was kind of that age-old debate between the free will of man and the sovereignty of God, election and predestination and man's responsibility and obedience, and that's a tension that we're never going to completely solve. That's a tension that the Bible maintains, and we only get into heresy when we try to relieve the tension. There is that tension, we've not chosen him, he's chosen us, and yet there's also that attention that whosoever will, that we have a choice to make. And in that tension, he set before me a glass of orange juice, and he said, now you see that orange juice, that orange juice is, it it's, uh, it's, tastes good, it's full of nutrients and nutritions, it has vitamin C, there's nothing you and your effort can do to add to that orange juice. And I said, you're exactly right. However, that orange juice doesn't do me any good if I don't pick it up from the table and drink it, right? If it's going to get in me, I've got to do something about that. And here's what happens. A lot of times we go thirsty because we have forsaken the fountain of living waters. Now, it is one thing for those that have never had a taste. It's one thing for those that don't even know that the well's there to avoid the well. But I'm talking to a group of people tonight that time after time in your dry spots, in your low spots, you've gone for a cool drink of spiritual water from that fountain of living waters and yet we go through a dry spot again and we forget about the well. We try, I don't know, maybe you're not this way. Maybe you're one of those people that as, as your absolute first inclination You'll go to the Lord and let it work it out. But some hard-headed people like me, I'll twist it and turn it every way in my mind. I'll try to work it every other way till I get good and frustrated and collapse under the weight of my own stubbornness and cry out to God and let him do it. And, God, and Jeremiah said, "You, my people, God said through him, have forsaken the fountain of living waters. Two evils, they've forsaken the fountain of living waters. And they have hewed them out cisterns Broken cisterns that can hold no water. There's a difference between a well and a cistern. I've gone down into some of these huge cisterns that they have over in the Holy Land. And it's just a big hole in the earth. I mean, some of them are bigger than this sanctuary. It's a big hole in the earth, and it catches rain when it falls. And when you live in that semi-arid area, uh, 
when it's rainy season, you got to get it while the getting's good so that you'll have a supply whenever the rain's not falling. My grandmother, I think I've mentioned this to you years ago, my grandmother, she preferred rainwater to spigot water. She said rainwater will do a, a lot better. It does my plants a lot better than spigot water does. So she'd put five-gallon buckets up under the house and she'd let it catch the rainwater. But I would notice as the months went by or weeks went by, I would go and look at those buckets full of rainwater and they'd get little, things. we call them wiggle tails. I don't know what y'all call them, but they were mosquito larvae. There's just something growing in there. And that well would get, uh, that water would get stale and stayed and stagnant. And I want you to know it is wonderful to look back on the blessings of God the rain that fell in yesteryear, that's wonderful. And it's good to help you grow. But I'm going to tell you, I wouldn't take a drink out of it. Right? Sometimes we're drinking death to ourselves because we're drinking stale, stagnant, stagnated, polluted water, contaminated water. You know when they say to go to Mexico, you don't drink the water because of Montezuma's revenge? In fact, if you'll study your history in the American Civil War, there were more people that died from drinking contaminated water that would have parasites in it that, that would uh, cause them to have dysentery and more people died of that than the bullets. And there's a lot of Christians today that think if they can go back to the old paths, the old ways, think about what God did in years past, that that'll quench their thirst, but that doesn't quench their thirst. We don't have to go to a cistern that's full of blessings that fell years ago. There's still a fountain of living water. There's a fountain opened up in the house of David, and that is fresh water. We have a rock that follows us that we can get a cool, fresh, living water, a drink that'll calm every thirst that we have. If you believe it, give him a hand clap of praise. And he said, here's the problem. Not only have you hewed out cisterns, but the cisterns have broken. And the cisterns no longer can even hold water. And so what many times of Pentecostal people we do, we go back to the same old cisterns. But now there's no water in the cistern. But we like to get together and say, ah, oh, you remember when this cistern had water. You remember Granny drank from this sister. You remember Mama drank from this sister. We might even get happy and dance around and dance up a dust cloud in the cistern. But I'm going to tell you there's no water in the cistern. There's water in the fountain of living waters, which is Jesus Christ. We drank from the spiritual rock that follows us, even in the wilderness. Now what was different about this is that the people of Israel, the children of Israel, up to this point when they needed water, God provided water. It was just at Moses' obedience to speaking to the rock. The second time, it should have been that he just spoke to the rock. And he violated it by, by hitting the rock. But this time, the Lord leads them to this town whose name is Well. It, the proper name of it was beer, B-E-E-R. And somebody says, see there, the Bible talks about drinking beer. Yeah, if you read it, it says they went to beer and drank water. <laughs> right? 
So they did, it wasn't beer as we know beer. It was the name of the town, and it meant well. But when they got there, here's what the Bible said about it. When they got there, he said, gather the people together. I'll give them water. And Israel sang, spring up, O well. And as they sang to them, they said, the well that the leaders sank, it was dug by the nation's nobles. It was dug at the command of the lawgiver. And they dug it with their staves. And so they sang as they dug. While they were in the middle, thirsty, probably their throats are are parched, their tongue may even be swollen, but they sang as they dug. I can't, I can't think of that without thinking of my Aunt, Aunt Laura Bell who broke you know, her ribs and bones in her face and was there, had a feeding tube. The only relief she had was Nana dip a little swab in some water and moisten her tongue. And, and Nana leaned over because Aunt Laura Bell was trying to say something. She leaned over to hear her sing or hear what she was saying, uh, perhaps complaining about the pain that she was in 24-7, perhaps asking for another just little drop of cool, uh, cold water. But that's not what Nana heard. She heard that Laura Bell say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I'm going to tell you, sometimes you've got to sing in the middle of the desert. You got to sing before the whale's dug. You got to you got to sing before you get the the drink. You got to sing while you're digging a whale. And so they were singing as they dug the whale. And the Bible says they didn't use shovels. They didn't use spades. They didn't have that. What they used was they used their staff. The nobleman used their staff to dig. And like a good senior pastor, Moses let his staff do the work. <laughs> right? Amen. And so they used their stabs to dig. I don't know why they used their stabs. Maybe they didn't have any shovels. Maybe they used what they had to dig. You know, it is a fruitless exercise to sit around and think of what we could do if we had more. In our own personal lives, it's fruitless to think of what we could be or what we could accomplish or what we could have if this happened, if that happened. How many knows if a bullfrog had wings, he wouldn't bump his behind every time he jumped up, right? That's fruitless to think of the what ifs. It's fruitless to think if we had this or had that. I remember when the woman came that was having to sell her son to pay off her debts, when she came to the prophet Elisha, he asked her, well, tell me, what do you have? What's in your house? And she said, well, I got a little bit of oil. He said, that's enough. Start borrowing some, some milk jugs and start pouring and sell that and pay off your debt. I remember when God uh, appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he asked Moses, what's in your hand? It's easy to say what we would do. I love that little story about the two guys that were talking, Bubba and Earl. And Bubba said to Earl, said, Earl, uh, if you had a million dollars, would you give me a, 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 if you had two million dollars, would you give me a million? He said, yeah, I'd give you. You're my best friend, Bubba. Of course I would give you a million. He said, well, Bubba, let me ask you this. If you had two hogs, would you give me one of your hogs? He said, Earl, you know that ain't fair. You know I got two hogs, Right? We can always talk about what we would do if we had more, if we had something different. But what are we doing with what we've got? And so they used what they had to dig with staves. 
I don't know, but I can tell you, if you've ever tried to dig a hole with a stick, that's pretty tough sledding to try to do that. But you use what you had. But maybe, maybe the Lord was trying to say to them, I want you to have the effort of digging this well, but it ain't going to be as hard to dig as you think. You're going to be able to dig this well with sticks. I remember hearing about a man that was out uh, in his front yard and he had lived there for all of his life and out just off the corner of the house about two feet or so there was this big rock and he would always have to mow around that big rock and he always was aggravated it was unsightly plus he'd have to go and weed eat around that rock because he couldn't get the mower close enough to do it and one day he asked his 15 year old son he said now son you got to be careful now and don't mess up the mower, but you, I need you to mow the yard today. So he's on the riding mower, and he gets too close, as a 15-year-old son is like to do. He gets too close to that big boulder, and he hits it. He thought, oh, my goodness, what in the world am I going to tell Daddy? But when he got off to, to, to uh, go tell his Daddy, he noticed that that boulder had moved, and he noticed that in their imagination that boulder, just the tip of it, had been above ground and they couldn't move it because surely it was bigger underground. He found out it was all surface level. For 40 years they'd rolled, uh, mowed around something that they could have just lifted up and tossed out of the yard. But in their mind it was bigger than they thought it was. And some of you think you're so thirsty, you think you're so low, there's no way out. But I'm going to tell you, if you'll just start digging, you'll find out it's a lot easier to get water than you think it is. It's a lot easier to strike water than you think it is. They use their staves. What has the Lord given us to use? Well, I'm going to tell you something. I might not have all the money in the world. I certainly don't have all the intelligence in the world. In fact, I have been told a rumor there are even some people better looking than I am. It's hard for me to believe and my mama don't believe it either. But I'll tell you what I do have. I have two hands that I can raise to Almighty God. I have a mind that I can contemplate and meditate on his word. I have lips that I can sing his praises and call out to him in prayer. When we come into this place and we say, everybody stand, let's lift our hands, let's sing to the Lord. We're not just trying to have a good service, we're trying to dig a well. And there have been times I've been in the house of God that I thought, I'm so low, I need the presence of God. I don't even know how to enter the presence of God. And I thought it would be so tough to get into his presence. But I'll raise a trembling hand and just say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And before I know it, there's a well that starts flowing on the inside of me. It's easier to dig the well than you think it is. Amen. Just start digging. Maybe they use their staves because that represents authority. You know, the shepherd's staff represents his authority. And the Bible says it was the nobleman that dug this well. It wasn't the people, it was the leaders that dug the well. And they, as they begin to dig, they dug it with their staffs. Now, I remember when Peter and John were going into the temple. And the man that was there at the gate called Beautiful who was looking to receive an offering for him. And Peter said, look on us. And he looked expecting alms, an offering. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But 
such as I have, give I unto thee. They said, one man said to, to Martin Luther, they said, Martin, no longer does the church have to say, silver and gold have I none. He said, yes, brother, but no longer can it say, such as I have, give I unto thee. I'm going to tell you, we might not have ever. Listen, the world has shiny shovels we can't compete with. The world's got more money. They got more talent. They got more ability. They own the airways. They've got more, more, more of everything except the most important thing. They don't have the presence of God. But greater is he that is within us than he that's in the world. And we have the authority of Jesus' name in the moment of dry circumstances to take that authority and dig a well that produces the presence of Almighty God. If you believe it, give him a hand clap of praise. Amen. And so Isaiah said in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 3, he said, Therefore, with joy, you'll draw water from the wells of salvation. There's a well being provided that we can draw cool, clear water from. There was an interesting use of this verse. When Hezekiah was king in Jerusalem, the Assyrians had surrounded Jerusalem. And they were going to starve to death and thirst to death. But he had the forethought to just outside of the old city, there's a spring called the Gihad Spring. And he said, we got to get that water from the outside of the wall to the inside. And so he commissioned laborers. One started on one side of the mountain. The other started on the other side of the mountain. One team on one side, one team on the other side. And this, you know, was about 700 years before Christ. Six or 700 years before Jesus was born. And an absolute incredible feat of engineering. They begin to dig each on each side and they met in the middle. I have walked through that tunnel, Crystal and the kids and I, walked through that tunnel flowing from the Gihad Spring. You get halfway through and there's an old marker, 2,600 years old, that says this is the spot that the tunnels came together. And it empties out into a pool. It's called the Pool of Siloam. It's where Jesus sent the blind man to wash his eyes. Well, on the Feast of Tabernacles, the priest would come down with golden trumpets blaring. And they'd take a silver pitcher and dip it into that pool of Siloam and march all the way back up to the temple. And there pour it out as a, a, a liquid sacrifice, a libation, a drink offering to the Lord. And as they would and the trumpets would blare, the people would sing from Isaiah chapter 12. With joy we'll draw water from the well of salvation. And when Jesus saw this, Jesus stood in the middle and he said, I am the living water. Let any man who thirsts come to me and drink and it will become a river of living water gushing forth out of their bellies. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit which was to come. With joy we can draw wells, water from the wells of salvation. 
Well, Isaac got to the place that he needed some water for himself and his family and his, his sheep, his livestock. And so in Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 18, I won't read it to you, but you can walk with you can put it on the screen, you can walk with, it, with me through it, I'll paraphrase. The Bible says that the first thing that he did was he dug again the wells of his father Abraham because the Philistines had intentionally stopped up those wells. And I'm going to tell you that the devil is about his business of trying to cover over and stop up the wells. But there's some wells that Abraham had that we need to redig. There's some wells that have been stopped up in the church and in our lives that need to be redug. We need to redig a well of passion. We have gotten so distracted in this age. I grew up, for better or for worse, and I think there was good and bad in both of it, but I grew up in a church that had a narrow definition of what worldliness was. It, it was touch not, taste not, handle not, which the Bible says perishes with the using. It had to do mostly with externals. Now I admit that there was some safety in some of that, that kept me out of some bad spots and bad places. And I thank God for that. But I'm going to tell you that while we should be careful little feet where you go and careful little eyes what you see and careful little ears what you hear and careful little mouth what you say. I'll tell you this, if somebody has a salvation that makes them live more like the devil and less like Jesus, they don't have Bible salvation. I'll tell you that. So I believe in living right, but I'll tell you this, worldliness is a lot broader a subject than just how you wear your hair or the length of your skirt or any of those things. Worldliness is confined in a material mindset. In other words, and I don't want to put these folks down, God knows I don't, but I know people that adhere to very, very strict codes and they because they, they want to be uh, moderate. And yet the truck they drive is not moderate. The house they live in is not moderate. <laughs> right? But they got this narrow. But I'm going to tell you what worldliness is. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And anything, well, just, let's, this is the easy definition. Anything when the trumpet sounds, you have trouble letting go of to go up in the rapture, it's got too much of you. And God doesn't mind you having things, but he does mind things having you. And we've gotten so distracted. You remember the seed that was sown among the thorns was unfruitful because of the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. We've gotten so distracted we give our energy to everything. I'm not against some of the things that we've got going. In fact, I think many of those things are good and have redemptive qualities. But I want to tell you, you can be busy without being productive. 
and we give all of our energy to everything else and everybody else and then when it comes to the things of God, we don't have any more passion, any more zeal, any more fire left for him. We're wore out with the things of the world. But I'm going to tell you, we need to redig the well of passion that when we worship the Lord, it's heartfelt and we long to be in the presence of God and the presence of his people. And then we need to redig the well of priority. God is number one. I don't give him what's left of my money. I don't give him what's left of my talent. I don't give him what's left of my time. He is my priority. We need to dig, redig the well of purity. We still need to live lives that are faultless and blameless lives. Boy, I'm going to tell you there's a doctrine that comes from the pit of hell that makes Christians feel good about living subpar lives and say, well, I'm just human. And it's bad enough that people in the pew take that attitude. But I got preacher friends that have that attitude. They say, well, they'll tell their people, say, you know, I'm just like you. I'm going to tell you, when I preach this book to you, if I'm not doing my dead level best by the grace of God to live what I'm preaching to you, you've got my permission not to listen to me anymore. If my practice doesn't pack, uh, back up my profession, then something's wrong with me. We've got to redig some wells. There's some wells. We've got to redig the ancient wells, the old wells. But here's the thing. When he tried to do that, verse 19, they found a well of living water. But, verse 20, there were herdsmen there that quarreled with them and said, the water's ours. So he called the name of that place Essek, which meant strife. And he traveled on to the next one. When he got the next one, he tried to dig that well. And again, they quarreled over that one also. And he named the place Sitna, which meant opposition. And I'm going to tell you, if you're going to try to allow the reviving presence of the living water of God to flow in your life, you're going to have people both within and without the church that are going to try to quarrel with you over that well. But he wouldn't deter. They just went on right down the road and they dug another well. And I'm going to tell you, it is good to go back. It's good to go back and redig the ancient wells. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes you've got to dig your own wells. Sometimes you're not going to be able to go back just to what, the, what they did in the old times. You're going to have to find a place and dig your own well. And he named that place Rehoboth, which means the Lord has made room for us. Now here was the mindset, the common law in that day. If you dug a well and you maintained a well, then the property around that well became your property. It was kind of a squatter's right that if you went to the trouble of digging the well, if you maintained the well, then that land became your land. Proverbs 5.15 says to drink water out of your own cistern and running water from your own well, it becomes your property where you dig a well. Psalm 84, it starts off 
Verse 1 talking about how lovely it is in God's house. He says in verse 2, my soul longs to be in the courts of the Lord. He looks up and says, I've even seen a little sparrow that is camping out in the, in the eaves of God's house. He's found a house there. And that's the way my heart cries out for the, for the living God, my King, my God. Verse 4, he said, blessed are those that dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is in the ways of them. And then verse 6, though, he says, but there comes a time when I'm not at God's house. There comes a time when I leave the house of God. And when that time comes, I pass through the valley of Baca. The word Baca probably means like balsam trees or mulberry trees. But they're called Baca trees because they weep. They drip with sap. They're weeping trees. And Baca at its root is a word that means weeping. And he said, blessed is the man that when he loves God's house, that he leaves God's house and he goes through the valley of weeping. There he makes a spring. There the rain that falls fills the pools. I want you to know when you go through the valley of weeping, when you come to the house of the Lord, there's somebody to help you dig a well. When you go to the house of the Lord, you're drawn from wells that have been dug a long time. But when you're in the valley of weeping, you've got to learn how to dig your own well. You've got to learn how to get down on your knees and cry out to a living God. You've got to learn how to find water in the valley of weeping. But here's the thing about it. When you dig a well, that valley becomes your property. Has that ever happened to you? You ever been in the valley of weeping and you learned how to dig a well? And even though that was a painful, hurtful place, now it's something that's your possession. You've learned how to cope. You've learned how to live. You've learned how to make it. Because you learned how to dig a well in the valley of weeping. You own that valley. And so he said, the very next verse, because of that, God's people will go from strength to strength because they know wherever they go, they know how to dig a well. They know how to get in touch with God. Jesus came to a well one day in Samaria. I've been to that well. I've been there. You can drop a little pebble in that well and it's a long way down. And they will let you pull up a, a bucket and they'll give you a taste. And after all these thousands of years, this is the well that Jacob dug. This is the well where Jesus was and it's still cool water in that well. But when Jesus was at that well and that adulterous woman came to him, he asked her for a drink. And he said to her, if you drink from this well, this is verse 13 of chapter 4. In verse 14, if you drink from this well, you'll thirst again. But if you'll drink from the water that I'll give you, you will never thirst again. And it will become a well of living water. It will become a well springing up into everlasting life.
God wants us to sing to our own spirit. Spring up a well within my soul. Spring up a well within my soul. I'm going to tell you, riding down the road in your brand new truck that your wife bought you, vacuuming your floor, going for a walk, whether you're in Walmart or down a dirt road, you can get in a place with God. There can be people all around or you can be all alone. You can be in a place that you'll say, you know what, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It's the river that makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. That river opens prison doors and it sets the captive free. I've got a river of life flowing up in me, spring up, oh well, goods, 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 goods within my soul. Anybody ever tapped into that well? One of my bucket list items is to go to Australia one day. I want to go to the land down under. I want to see the Australian outback. And uh, a few years ago, that, that outback in Australia is, is, is so huge. It's beyond, our, it's beyond our comprehension how huge that is. And there are ranchers there that have cattle and livestock. And you probably are aware of this, but when you're in a place like South Georgia, and I, I don't know the numbers, but let, I'm, I'm using arbitrary numbers, but let's say that you can, an acre of ground could accommodate 50 cows because you got grass. But you get out in West Texas and New Mexico, you got to have 50 acres of ground for one cow because there's not that much grass. So in these ranches in the outback and it's semi-arid, it, it, there's so much land to support those cattle. Well, those ranchers had a problem because the cattle, there wasn't any, you know, any fences. They'd stray over to somebody else's land. So the ranchers started spending their money and spending their time and spending their man hours and their attention to building fences to keep their cows on their ranch. But it, there was so much time and expense involved because there was such a, a great amount of land that they were spending all their money and all their time building fences. And their cows were not being cared for. And they were sickly because they were spending all their money trying to build fences to keep their cows at home. And somebody came up with the great idea and it spread. They said, instead of spending our time building fences and spending our money building fences, let's just go around our property at strategic location and build wells. Because those cows are not going to stray too far from the water. In fact, the reason they're straying is they're looking for water. So if we'll spend our money and spend our time build, building wells instead of fences, our cows will stay at home. And I'm going to tell you people that start drifting from the Lord, 
They're looking somewhere to quench their thirst. But if we can help them to dig a well, you won't stray too far from the well. You know, even as a church, the way we've gotten to think, and I'm trying as thick-headed as I am, I'm trying to think this way. Oh, God, what wells can we dig with pe for people? How can we help quench their thirst? In your own life, you won't stray into the things of this world and it's not just sinful things. I'm, I'm talking to a Sunday night crowd. The vast majority of you, you've forgotten how to sin. You don't even remember what it's like, and you don't have the energy to do it if you did remember. But there's a lot more to sin than just going out and committing immorality. Right? And there's a lot more to sin than outward sins. There's a lot of inward sins. And I find that the older I get, the less struggle I have with the outward sins and the more struggles I have with the inward sins. Because there are sins that appeal to us when we're active. And there are other sins that work on us as we get more sedentary. We're too busy when we're young to get bitter. But when we slow down, our trouble starts piling up on us. We get envious. We get jealous. We can get bitter, resentful. We search in all those places and wander away because we're looking for something to quench our thirst. But can I tell you that we have a good shepherd that will lead us beside the still waters. We've got a good shepherd that will say, like he said through Moses, they sung the song, they said, our noblemen's have done the well, but they did it at the command of the lawgiver. And we got a lawgiver that says, Gather together, I'm going to give you water. Start digging. Amen. Would you stop?